This is a really convenient two-way street for me in that I'll ask people, hey, how many people have done my online program? And the you know, three, five, six people, whatever, will raise their hand. And then in the room of you know, 20, 24 people, there's the vast majority that are like, wait, you have an online program too? The ones who have done my online program are just such a treat to meet in person. Because number one, I am I told you where my you know crazy story started about like kind of being down and out. And I just look at anyone yeah. who's ever bought my online program and I'm like, I owe you so much. You bought that and that purchase allows me to live a life that I absolutely love. You're listening to Kyle Weger, our guest on today's episode of the podcast. Now you may recognize his voice because Kyle actually joined us on the show almost exactly one year ago. Kyle is an online entrepreneur, digital marketer, and international handstand coach. Yep, you heard me right. Kyle travels around the world teaching handstand workshops. In fact, he just kicked off a three-month teaching tour, making stops across the United States, England, Italy, and Australia. In our previous conversation, Kyle shared the story of how he successfully created a new online business selling a handstand training course through Facebook advertising. Today, he comes on the show to talk about the ins and outs of promoting and running in-person events in conjunction with an online business. We have a great conversation about how to stay productive and get important work done while you're on the road, why having an online course can help you sell in-person events and vice versa, and the specific things you can do to successfully book your own workshops and teaching events. It's always a joy to talk to Kyle, and I'm grateful to have him back on the show today. Kyle shares a lot of experiential wisdom in this episode, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. So if you've ever wondered how to successfully run both an online and in-person business, this episode is for you. As always, I'm your host, Eric Turnison, and this is episode 133 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Oh, hey, Eric. Happy to be back again. It's been, what, almost a year? October 2018, whatever the math is on that. So close to a year. So I think when we spoke last time, you were in Australia, Yeah, well, I had just gotten back. Priority number one, of course, was to get on the Member Mouse podcast the moment I got home. (laughs) Nice. And where are you these days? I'm currently sitting in a hotel in uh, Washington, D.C., about eight minutes from Dulles Airport because I take off tomorrow morning to New York City. Nice. You actually do a ton of traveling for your businesses. This is something that I want to get into in a lot of detail in this episode. But before we get into that, can we just give our listeners an overview of your business and and what you do? Yeah, totally. Um, I guess there's a, a couple main facets to how I drive revenue or like live and also live a life that I really enjoy, which is I travel around and I teach hand balancing. It's a very unique and niche skill. I do like traveling weekend workshops in city after city after city. That takes me all over the world. And then I have like an online part of that business, which is courses and how to's and blogs and everything that you need um, for people to find you online. And then I also do, I'm uh, delving into a little bit more on, on the business coaching side with the, you know, member dev and I'm trying to sharpen that part of my brain as well. So I guess there's like physical handstand side of Kyle and then the also like marketing nerd side of Kyle, which just likes to sit down and geek out over numbers. Now, I actually have a little bit of nomadic aspects to my life too. I sometimes travel around. I drive my Subaru Outback with my dog places. And just like you, you know, I run an online business, Member Mouse. And so it's always a consideration in terms of when I choose to travel. Okay, well, how can I do that travel? And at the same time, stay connected, make sure that I'm present for the business in the ways that I need to be. But you are doing it to a much greater degree than I actually do. So I'm curious about a lot of things about how you approach that you know how do you stay organized motivated productive when you're traveling a big portion of the year I live and die by my Gmail calendar so if it goes in the calendar it gets done and if it doesn't go in the calendar you can probably imagine you know with the end of that sentence right I just rely on my own ability to take notes and if I put something in the calendar at a time I knew that there was important enough that I needed to give it my attention so even let's say I put something in and I find a chunk of two hours like in a week from now where I want to do this thing. And then that time comes and it's like, oh, I'd rather be at the gym or I'd rather be doing something more fun. I know based on past experience, like, hey man, you've done this before. If it's in the calendar, it make it a priority and then go do your fun stuff later. In terms of um, productivity, like how do you make sure that you're connected when you need to be connected? Like for example, if something in your calendar like this, obviously certain events have 
certain requirements associated with them, like an internet connection or a certain amount of quiet, stuff like that. So I look at like, okay, what, let's just use this very podcast, for example. I was staying with a friend in D.C., up until a few hours ago, and I knew that I travel tomorrow, so I want to be airport adjacent. I'm recording a podcast with Eric, so I need a place that is quiet. Obviously, I'll just get a hotel room right next to the airport. That solves both of those problems. My friend uh, who I'm staying with has two amazing dogs, uh, but they're not podcast-friendly animals, if you know what I mean. So, So I just look at like, okay, what's important? And I always come back to just the just the old adage, and this goes for your training, your business, your relationships, whatever it is, if it's important, you make time for it. And not only do you make time for it, you set up the scenario to be an optimal so that you can have the best experience possible for that. So for example, this podcast, I, I just got a hotel room. I was going to need one anyway, anyway later tonight at an early check-in. If I have a big training you know, the next morning, I know I'm going to have to train for three hours. I'm probably not out at the bar doing shots of tequila till midnight. You know what I mean? Like I said, yeah. set yourself up for optimal experiences most times. Yeah. And what kind of gear are you kind of like bringing with you when you're traveling? What's your go-to packing situation? So for to run my business, this is, this is a fun question. I have my laptop, obviously. I have cleverly Velcroed my, I got sick of like always piecing this thing together. So I have Velcroed my my four terabyte external hard drive to the back of my laptop. And so it just sits there instead of me having, it's just like kind of one unit now. But I did find out you don't want to go through the airport like that because they have to then dust your computer for chemicals because there's something on the outside of the laptop. So listener beware. But I have my laptop, obviously power cords, adapters. I have two iPhone chargers. I always have two sets of headphones. One is the lightning you know, that goes into my phone. And then I have my 3.5 millimeter, like the old school headphone jack that I'm talking on now. I got my Joby tripod. I have a Rode, like a $100 little condenser mic that I mm-hmm. got from uh, the Apple store. I still shoot content. When I'll, you know, if I'm on the road for three months, I don't want to go three months with no content. And for a hundred bucks, this thing cleans up the sound quality. Just amazingly, it plugs straight into the iPhone. So I have sort of a mini studio, I guess. I have the tripod, my phone has all my filming software on there, Filmic Pro and a few other things. And then I got a microphone. It's not the most professional grade high level mic, but for one that I can take on the road with me, it's awesome for the price point I paid for it. I have my journals, uh, things I need to get stuff done. And then I have like my training gear, which basically just a series of rubber bands of different sizes. And that's about it. But those are my go-to essentials. Clothes are easy, right? It's yeah. Just underwear, socks, jeans, stretchy pants. <laughs> stretchy pants yeah yeah that's not normally on my packing list but you oh know, really yeah maybe man. one day you, you yeah. know i believe uh, you should always be ready to, to drop into the splits at any time and i don't ever want to be <laughs> i want to be able to jean-claude van damme whenever i need to well that's great so you actually launched a course an e-course with member dev recently and i think you shot that entirely on the road right yeah so that was a fun one i was in denver and again, stay, I lived there for nine years, so I have a ton of friends. So I was staying with a friend, which is how I prefer to do it. However, I was like, I need to shoot a course that is, you know, looks professional, sounds professional, has good lighting, and I need total silence. And the place I was staying was downtown, and downtown Denver isn't, you know, it's a pretty busy place. You got sirens and cars honking and people and all kinds of stuff. So what I did is I rented a hotel room for two days. And in the two-day period, I shot the entire, well, shot it, edited it, put all the bells and whistles on, all the fade-ins, all the graphics, did that. I mean, it was kind of like nose down, full-on cheetah on the hunt mode. Like I was just single focus. Two days, let's get this done. So I used all the stuff I was talking about, that little portable mic that plugs into my iPhone. I shot the thing on my iPhone, which was mounted on my little Joby tripod and I just used my computer to do the rest. So that one was cool. Like to, to film a complete course while traveling, while actually living the nomad lifestyle. Yeah, that's pretty and, awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to make these courses so more people can do this. Yeah, that one was kind of like I said, after I got the whole thing done, I hit the send button to Ali and I was like, hey, course is finished. I just kind of <laughs> sat back and I was like, man, that felt really good. Do you actually have a physical address somewhere? I do in California. In Costa Mesa, I got a really cool situation out there with some roommates. When I leave for months at a time, I got people to watch the house. Whereas if I just live by myself, 
someone could break into my apartment and I wouldn't know for, you know, 90 days, which would be awful. <laughs> so I got roommates and it's a, we live near the beach and that's kind of fun. Well, interesting thing about my current situation, I live in Santa Fe and it's a very unique place. And the interesting thing about this location is it's on 40 acres of land, like 30 minutes outside the city. I have really good internet, which is awesome, but I've literally never locked the door of this place once. And I've gone away for like five weeks at a time too. And it's just a really cool, obviously you can't do that everywhere, right? but it's just a really cool thing uh, to have happen. How many acres does it sit on? 40. Dang. Okay, cool. So you're you're like you're out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like uh, like Grizzly Adams. Just uh, do you forage for your own food in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not that much growing on Santa Fe. I I basically make a trek into the co-op every uh, few days or so. But you know, for two to three days at a time, I'm usually just out here chilling with my dog. Yeah. Do you enjoy that amount of uh, solitude? That's got to be very quiet, which is something I don't get a lot of, which is silence. You know. Yeah, I do enjoy it. I'm actually going to be moving soon to Washington State, but uh, I've been here almost two years and I must say that there was definitely an adjustment period to the the isolation and the, the stillness, but it was definitely something that I was ready for. Like This is the first time I've actually lived by myself in my entire life, which is very interesting to reflect on. Yeah, it's just you and your pup? Yep. That's a like a textbook kind of story just a man and his dog living out in the country in San Diego, exactly. Mexico right yeah. it's like the start of like a I picture like the cover of a novel who knows 20 years from now might be the start of a of a book you know we'll see if anything interesting happens in my life for the next 20 years worth writing a book about it might happen it'll start with that yeah I think part of living out here one of the things that became important was routines and this is something you and I have talked about mm-hmm. and how it's important in your life too And having the morning routine, doing meditation practice, taking the dog for a walk, having breakfast. And the thing that's interesting about travel is it always, for me, it always seems to throw a wrench in the the routine. But of course, with the amount of time you travel, that's not an option, right? You have to have a certain, you can't just throw off your routine every time you travel. Otherwise, you're just like... Or else there's nothing, right? Because it's like the predominant part of my life is spent on the road. And I think when people travel, they assimilate that with the word vacation, meaning, oh, I'm traveling, mm-hmm. so I don't have to really work. Whereas me, travel is work. And if I you know, neglected my training for every day that I'm on the road or not home or able to adhere to a, a routine in a singular geographical location, then I would have nothing. It would just it would be pure chaos. So I try to make sure no matter, there's a few, like I just go back to the old phrase, you know, control your controllables. There's a few things I can definitely control. I can control when I check my phone. Every town has a gym, even if they don't, every hotel has like at least some kind of little fitness facility in it. I can control when I eat, how much water I drink, all the basics, just because I'm on the road, it's not vacation for me, you know? That makes sense. And a lot of your time, I think, is spent on planes too. So do you have any way that you take advantage of that time? Yeah, I used to like plane rides for me used to be like, oh, let's sit back, have a glass of wine, see what kind of movie selection we have. You know, they they always have like the headrest little six inch televisions. And then I, I started tallying up how much time I actually spend in the air. And, you know, if you're talking anywhere between five and upwards of 15 hours in a week or a two week period, that can really add up. I started thinking like, do I really need to watch Wolverine again? Or, <laughs> or could I probably <laughs> yeah. dive into an audiobook? And so what I've, I've been doing is I have this little uh, routine that I've installed is that I'll put on an audiobook and then I'll open up a notes document on my laptop. So iPhone's got the, you know, the audiobook feeding my brain and I'm just taking notes on the book, things I find interesting, little quotes that jump out at me, uh, little factoids or nuggets that are really like pertinent to my current practice. So that's been my new discipline is not making a plane ride a relaxing sort of movie going experience or even that much of a, if I find someone really interesting next to me, then I love having those random social conversations on a plane. Right. But for the most part, it's like, okay, I, I'm flying from, let's say Denver to DC. That's a two hour and 50 minute flight. What can I do? Let's even say two hours out of that 250 that would be valuable. And I, you know, it's not from the time it's wheels up to wheels down that I'm just grinding on these audiobooks. But for the most part, I want to make the predominant amount of my time I spend on a plane worthwhile, either that or sleep. Got it. 
So we've kind of like throughout our this early part of the conversation been foreshadowing in some way what we're going to be talking about. So essentially, you run an online business where you uh, sell courses that teach people how to do handstands. You also are part of the member dev team and and shoot content for them and produce content that has different aspects of marketing, sales, and running an online business. And then you're also, the reason you're traveling a lot is because you do a lot of in-person trainings Mm -hmm. for handstands. So high level, how do you approach balancing the online aspect of your business and the offline aspect of your business? Yeah, I look at it um, sort of, you know, scalability versus revenue versus what I just genuinely enjoy doing. There will never be a bigger high for me than the in-person interaction. I just came out like yesterday was Sunday. We just finished Hanson Boot Camp, Washington, D.C. edition. 24 students. We spent the entire weekend together. Some of us went out for drinks and tacos afterwards. And it's just this nice. super awesome human bonding connection. Now, is that necessarily scalable? Uh, well, I'd have to go to a new city, which requires a plane ticket and a place to stay. And then I have to repeat that over and over, right? I get the most joy out of that work. But if I want to build a very scalable business where I'm able to reach the masses, not just in the US, but all over the world and do it without being super high touch, that's where the online business comes in. And I think the some people just do the travel teaching thing, and I have friends that do that, but they don't have any online businesses. Some people just do the online, but then you never see them at workshops. You never get to like reach out and touch that person because they're not actually real. I think when you do these right. workshops, one of the first questions I always ask, I'm like, hey, raise your hand if you've done any of my like tips and tricks videos on Instagram or if you bought my online course. And without fail, there's always a handful of people in the crowd that's like, oh, we drove a few hours to see you because we live in you know Podunk, Pennsylvania but we want to come to DC because we do your online course. So the two kind of feed each other. And I think I'm dialing it into the point where I got a really good blend on how to maximize like outcome and experience for both. For the students, the best thing you could have as a student is like a one-on-one coaching session, but those are expensive and again, not scalable. So the, the group setting of the workshop, I think offers a really nice opportunity to come out and get upside down and do some weird things with your body for an afternoon. So has this always been the case that you've been interested and got this high from doing the in-person events or was there a time when you were a little bit apprehensive about it? No, I've always been like I'm a salesman by nature, right? That was my very first job. It was the last job I had in corporate world. I've never done anything other than sales and marketing. So getting out and meeting people is like what I do. Even when I was selling high ticket software things, if I could sell to a client over the phone, great. But if they'll have me out to sit down with them, I would take that, you know, in a heartbeat. Even when I launched Reflection, that was like my first foyer into teaching. And then of course I ended up teaching at a studio for a long time, but it was always like, oh, workshops, specialty skill training. That has always been a passion of mine and teaching people how to do these kind of seemingly weird things, right? Hand balancing isn't like the most, (laughs) it's not the most useful in your day to day. Like you're not going to ever be stuck in traffic and get out of your car and do a handstand and everyone moves out of your way. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't realize you could handstand. Please come right this way. Right. <laughs> like it does, it's not, yeah. it's not applicable to every day, but it, the, for the community that does it, I can reach a ton of people online and then I can reach out and impact a far less number of people. But the layer of impact is higher when I do the in-person stuff. Sure. And you mentioned scalability and how doing the live stuff isn't necessarily scalable because it means that you have to have new audiences in different cities, etc. And there are people who do that as their primary thing. But um, the online portion brings to mind a word for me, which is sustainability, mm-hmm. right? Because you can actually um, have revenue coming from fully accessible 24-7 resource that means that you can then use that revenue to facilitate you going to doing the in-person stuff, which obviously has a revenue component to it, but it sounds like more importantly for you, it's the aspect of that that's valuable is getting to be with those people, spending that time making the in-person connection. I feel, I guess, pretty fortunate in that regard in that I am not reliant on the paycheck that I get from my weekend workshops. It's just a bonus for me. And there's a certain freedom that comes with that and rolling in to a um, rolling into a facility and knowing like, oh, I, you know, 
I have my six weeks to handstand online course is kind of turning and burning in the background. I'll make some money there. And then this weekend, I'm totally free to give every person that came to this workshop my undivided attention. Not that other teachers don't do that. I'm just saying that when, if your sole income were on the in-person workshop, and let's say that wasn't marketed very well, or it fell on a weekend where there was some other event going on that you had no idea about, and you don't get the numbers you wanted. And I've been in those as a student before, where you can tell the teacher was like kind of disappointed with the number of students it turned out. And you're like, hey man, I'm still here. I still paid for this, like give me an experience. So I think it opens me up to be fully present with the students and the feedback thus far is that they really appreciate, you know, the attention to detail. And even if you got super beginner versus someone who can already kick up and hold the handstand, but they just want to refine it a little bit, everyone gets like individualized training rather than me walking in and kind of huffing and puffing and be like, okay, fine, I guess we'll do this stupid workshop, even though only 12 people showed up, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean, because um, as I've been up here in in New Mexico in this beautiful location, I've actually been doing tea ceremonies as an Airbnb experience. So people can come over and I'll serve them uh, gung fu tea for an hour. And obviously, I'm not doing that for the money, because Member Mouse is my priority income. But It's that situation. Like, since I'm not doing for the money, there's never an energy that happens, no matter if one person shows up or five people show up, that I'm disappointed with what's put in front of me because I'm not putting that pressure on it that it needs to do anything for me. You're not reliant on outcome. You're reliant, you're, you're not, well, you're not reliant on anything, but outcome isn't a factor. It's just like, oh, I get to, I get to spend some time with some other humans and connect. And, you know, it's not through a digital, Nature, I would be really curious to how many people show up for your tea ceremony that also know that you run this like really successful software company in the back, or do they just think you're some nobody? Yeah, right. They see you're Eric, the tea guy. Yeah, and I don't talk about it either. I did it for four months straight and I did 60 sessions in that time. And yeah, it member mouse only maybe came up like twice. Okay. Yeah, because it's not really relevant to their experience. You know, no, it's not. They don't. They don't need to know. And it's. Uh, I think that's really cool that you do that. I didn't know that about you. Man of many layers, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So, how can people recognize if an in-person component would be a good aspect to add to their business? You know, I think number one to sit down and ask: Is this teachable in person? I think most skills are if they're physical skills. If it were like, let's say teaching someone how to, um, let's just use computers, for example, like how to code. Do you really need to get in person? I don't know. Maybe if you're teaching anything physical, fitness, yoga, meditation, I might even argue, you know, against what I just said, like there's something valuable that happens when it's human to human connection. Does it require any digital interfacing to do this skill? Does it, do you need a computer or an iPhone or, you know, Zencaster or Skype or something? Well, if not, then yeah, you could do it. I think where people get, they just don't know where to start. And that can be the biggest hurdle to anything. It's like, man, they can envision what it looks like to be on the road and traveling and selling these like sold out workshops. But the biggest thing is how do I get started? And that is where most people don't even get started because it's, you know, paralysis by analysis. There's a million things you could do, but you don't know which one to pick. Well, I've seen people spend lifetimes trying to answer the questions about how to get started. (laughs) Because really... It's not about the question, it's a delaying tactic. It's uh, If you really wanted to get started, you go out to what's closest to you and just start doing it. Yeah, a lot of people want to get, I want to nail it perfect. I want to, you know, I just want to make sure I launch this launch goes perfectly. I have yet to see a launch of anything that goes perfectly. Right, and perfection is a constantly moving target. Like, are you, do you feel like after how many years you've been doing the stuff that you're doing that things are perfect and everything's doesn't need to be touched. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, yeah, there's always things. So I was looking at my numbers this morning on like Facebook ads. I had a great example. I had um, like 17 people initiate checkout, made it to the checkout page, uh, eight purchases. So less than half, barely. I'm like, okay, well, why is it, is it broken? What's wrong with my checkout page? Nothing's wrong with your checkout page. Just like right. nothing's ever going to be 100% perfect. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying about, I asked you, you know, how can people consider if they can have an in-person component to their business? And you were talking about the different types of businesses, but you also made the point that, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I agree with that because so much in a digital business is invested in trying to come up with the way to connect with the customer. We use 
different things like automation tools. We use personal outreach. We use marketing techniques. Like all of this stuff is basically trying to replace what happens naturally when you're in person with somebody face to face. And it's very archaic if you actually think about it, but obviously it comes into play because we need to scale. We need to be international. We need to be in multiple places at the same time. So I find that the people who we do the best job with in connecting with in terms of our customer base, there are many people who are happy with the product. But the people who are happy with the product and have connected with us, those people are going to do much more in terms of spreading the word about the product or service then the people are just happy with the product. If you just meet the bar of someone's expectations, that's not good enough to write a Yelp review or to send a testimonial or any other, because the expectations were merely met, right? But the ones who are your quote-unquote raving fans, the ones who leave all the comments, oh my God, thank you for your software, it's so amazing, the ones who will give testimonials and tell all their friends about how much they love it, that's that's where the magic is. And not, you know, like any other hierarchy, not every single, the goal would be every single one of your customers is that raving, raving fan. But we know in reality that that is not true because you can't please all the people all the time, right? So I think it's if you can dial into who those people are and give them that high touch connective experience, now you don't just get a customer. Mm-hmm. I used to like break down people like, okay, are they followers? Are they a customer? I want like a friend. I want someone who sees me as a friend that follows my handstand work, right? Because then they'll, they'll come to workshops, they'll come on retreats, they'll tell their friends, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the money other than that the money is tied to the business because I sell a product, but it's more about, man, I feel really good about what I do and how I'm spending this, the finite amount of time I have. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm, I'm recalling back to the first time we spoke, we were talking more about marketing strategies and how you handle setting up your sequences of emails and such. And you made a similar comment. I asked you something like, how do you plan out what you're going to say to these people to get them to convert? And you said something like, well, you know, I just think of them as my friend, or I don't know exactly, but it seems like that's an ethos for you that drives. Yeah. And I, it's gotten to be less, when I first started, I was very marketing heavy because I just, I was wanted to sell. So there's, there's certain ways in language you can use to just kind of force the issue and you're going to like make people buy almost some of the like, are you, are you tired of not being able to handstand? You like make it feel like I don't ever want to have that, <laughs> you know? So yeah. when I type up my emails, I use words like I'm from the Midwest. So I use the word y'all and uh, I'll type that in uh-huh. the emails. I type as though I was talking to a friend. Yeah. And that's the critical kind of thing that I think we're touching on from a number of different directions is any way that we can create that connection with people. In person, obviously, makes it very easy because we naturally know how to do that in person. So it's ended up adding a big benefit to your business. Now, clearly, you get the benefit of whatever revenues and in-person interactions come from those events. But how have you seen that it actually has impacted your online business? Do you find that a lot of those people then continue with you online? Yeah, so it it goes, this is a really convenient two-way street for me. In that I'll ask you, but hey, how many people have done my online program? And the you know three, five, six people, whatever, will raise their hand. And then in the room of you know twenty, twenty four people, there's the vast majority that are like, wait, you have an online program too? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Right. So the online people came to the workshop, and then at the workshop, the people who had no idea that I even do online business are now open to like getting my course, and they find out about it through there. So. It goes both ways. Like I said, it's just really convenient. One feeds the other and vice versa. The ones who have done my online program are just such a treat to meet in person. Because number one, I am, I told you where my you know crazy story started about like kind of being down and out. And I just look at anyone yeah. who's ever bought my online program and I'm like, I owe you so much for you bought that and that purchase allows me to live a life that I absolutely love. So when they come, it's just like huge hugs and, you know, it's, it's a, it is kind of an emotional deal because handstanding is hard work. It's not easy. And I understand what these people are going through and they're willing to spend $175 and put in six weeks of blood, sweat, and tears for this thing. And also drive a couple hours to meet me if I'm in a city near them. It's like you're instant. Again, you're we're friends. You're not a customer. You're not a member of mine. Yeah. You're not an Instagram follower. You're, you are now my friend. And that's who I want to be with my following, I guess, is the 
Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. I didn't see that in the handstand marketing that blood was involved. I mean, sweat and tears, sure. <laughs> There's going to be some blood. Uh, for those of you listening, I probably should have put that in. It doesn't sell well when you tell people they're going to bleed. <laughs> no, I actually, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, 3,000 plus courses sold. I have zero That's fatalities, great. actually. I have zero zero casualties. Keep that going. So bat, batting a thousand there. <laughs> It makes me think of the uh, Monsters, Inc. movie where they have that counter on the wall, like X number of days without... Without an accident. Incident, you know? Yeah. So you're, you're doing well on that. <laughs> still, yeah, I have one of those, a little digital marker. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. technical question in regards to getting people to attend the in-person events. Do you... I imagine you have some sort of geographical email segmentation going on with your list. Do you take advantage of that? Does that work for you? Yeah. I mean, given the size of my list and what I do when on my non-hand standing time with marketing, it would be, I would be doing myself a huge disservice if I didn't like take advantage of that. Right. So I will pop into active campaign. Good example. I just got my workshop in Italy had to move because the studio I was at is doing a different thing. So my booking manager found us a place in Florence and the, the studio there was super keen on it. Booked it and then that afternoon, log into Active Campaign. I was like, pull me everyone from Italy. Had like almost 500 people on my list in the country of Italy. Sent out that email, like, hey, you know, big, big capital letters, good news. We locked in a, a location for Hanson Boot Camp in Florence. And then, you know, within like a few hours of that email going out, boom, people are signing up and I will do email targeting. If the situation is right, I will go into Instagram and I have a little graphic that I use. It says Hansen Boot Camp and then whatever the city name is underneath it, like London. Right. London is one of my upcoming ones. And then I'll throw a couple hundred bucks at that, redirect them to the sign-up page where they can sign up for the boot camp right on kyleweger.com. So yeah, I'm running ads. As every now and again, I'll do a Facebook ad, but I primarily reserve Facebook for advertising my online course because that's where my cash cow is. But yeah, email targeting, Instagram targeting, getting booked is one thing. That's like Awesome. You got book step one done, but now it's kind of like building a course. Congratulations. You build a course. People need to buy it. Right. So just because I got booked yeah. doesn't mean that, that it's over. It's over on like Sunday afternoon when we're all having beers together talking about what a great experience it is. And then it's over for me. Right. So let's dive into this a little bit because I actually don't know what questions to ask here because I've never started or run an in person event. So, but I'd like to understand from like start to finish, like how does this happen? You mentioned you have a Mm -hmm. booking manager, you mentioned some other things. So how do you determine where to go, et cetera, et cetera? Like take us through the journey of how one of these things actually comes into into being. Totally. I'll, uh, you know, we're uh, recording this at a perfect time to talk about this. I'm coming off a DC, which was one that had, I had, I didn't have a place lined up, but uh, last year I had had probably, man, like seven to 10 people reach out like, hey, when are you coming to the Washington, D.C. area? When are you coming to D.C.? For me, I sort of take that as a sign. Like, all right, there is a big community of people that want to learn how to handstand. They're reaching out to me specifically. Let's make this happen. It usually will go, this is the route. Like a student or studio owner will reach out. If it's the student who wants to learn handstand, I usually tell them, hey, I would love to come to your city. My events manager and I just need a studio that's willing to host. Yoga studios are usually like primarily where I end up. There's CrossFit facilities. There's other gyms I'll end up at like you know 5% of the time. But let's say the lion's share is I end up at a yoga studio. This last one I was at a Pilates and yoga place. The student will be like, oh, let me talk to the studio manager. Us in touch with them. And then my events manager will take care of it there. If it is a studio manager or owner that reaches out, there's the direct line, right? That one's easy. The, where they're like, hey, I want you to come to my studio. So we look at geography, market. I do better in bigger markets as do most traveling instructors. Although sometimes I crush in the small towns because they just have never seen a handstander before. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, I will come in and they, you know, I'll dive into that after this. But um, we get everything locked in. Like, okay, it's going to be September 7th and 8th at you know, Mind the Mat Pilates in Arlington right outside of D.C. And I look at their, I'll have my booking manager look at their studio schedule because that's a, usually a good indicator of how many students are being trafficked through that studio at any given day. So if they have only two classes on the schedule, I'm like, oh, this is not a very busy studio. Maybe it's a young studio. Younger studios tend to have less of a loyal following. I want one that's been established so that when they hang that big flyer in the lobby, uh, that says handstand boot camp with mm-hmm. guest instructor Kyle Weger. They're going to naturally bring in signups based off of their student base 
And then I have signups off of my student base independently. So that's one route I can go. They market, I market. We're constantly touching base. Like, hey, how many signups do we have? Hey, we're a month out. How many signups? Two weeks out. We almost always run an early bird special that ends two weeks before the workshop. So this one was a good example. $175 for the entire weekend. Or if you sign up before, you know, what was two weeks ago, August 24th, you can get it for 125 So 50 bucks off. So your typical sign up now, get a discount promo. I'm always blasting Instagram posts that are not sponsored, just like in my regular feed. And then I'll hashtag Washington DC, hashtag DC Fit Fam, hashtag Arlington, you know, and I'll make sure I get those in there. So that for me has been really dialed in over years and years of doing live workshops. I can tell you in the early days, I was just kind of, I was like Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams, right? Like, oh, just build it and they'll come. But that's not true with marketing. <laughs> so it might have worked out for him in the movie, but in real life, it doesn't. So you have situations where you had everything planned and the, the day comes and there was either, what was the worst case scenario? You had like nobody there? Or? Yeah, I had, uh, I had one uh, like three or four years ago where I had been kind of reliant on the studio. I was like, oh, they have this huge following, of course. They're just going to make a couple email blasts for me. It'll be good. And coupled with the fact that I did not realize that the Friday night workshop we had booked was on the weekend of St. Patrick's Day oh. and that will affect what are you going to do on Friday night learn how to handstand or go drink a green beer most people will go for the latter right so that one and I was like oh this is where I need to be way more proactive that was a nice wake up call for me because I was like I need to target my list and back then I didn't really have much of a list to speak of but I was like I need to target my you know my people I need to post more on Instagram I need to give them a reason to come and then a call to action it's something I can't believe I actually looked over in the early days. Like I know all this from, you know, marketing school, right? Like tell them, like when I sell my course, I say, you should buy this course because you'll learn how to handstand. Click here versus, um, Hey, I have a handstand course. End of story. Like that's not a call to action, right? So even in my workshop advertising, I give them a link to click on to sign up. I tell them, click here to get your spot today. Um, we're only taking 20 or 24 people. Make sure you get signed up. So I know it's a bit of a, a long-winded answer for like how I set it up, but that is usually hosting at a studio or the, the other one real quick is what I'm doing in London and in Brisbane, Australia is I rather, I know that I have enough people there on my list. I just look at the numbers. I'm like, wow, I've got a surprisingly large amount of people. So I'll just go rent a facility mm. for a couple hundred bucks. And be like, hey, can I rent your studio? Just a flat fee. I take care of 100% of the marketing. You don't have to hang up any flyers. You don't have to send out any emails. I will do 100% of everything. And it brings free traffic to your studio. But in exchange for that, I keep 100% of the profit. Right. So in situations where you the studio is assisting with the marketing, there's a rev share? Yeah, usually 70-30 is the norm. If it is something extremely far away or expensive for me to get to, I'll push for like 80-20 or my booking manager will push for 80-20. For if it's something easy for me to get to and the studio, like I've worked it out where studios are giving me a place to stay for free. I'm like, okay, well, there's $500 I just saved for the week. And they want to do 60-40. Right. Like everything's a negotiation, right? But if it looks attractive and I think it's it has to meet my number one criteria, which is it's going to be fun. And if it's fun, I'm willing to take a hit on the money. That's fine. I'll pay for experience, right? You mentioned offhand that you know in those early days where that situation happened, your list wasn't that big, which implies that now it's bigger than it was. Do you recall some of the specific strategies that you use to, to grow it? Yeah, my list is built on a very... I would say it's 95% of the, the free video. Very simple. Free handstand video. Three, those three magic words have helped me out a lot. And then I have a place where they can opt in at the bottom of every single blog uh, to get that free video. So if someone finds me organically and they read an article that I wrote or that mm -hmm. any of my content providers wrote, and then at the bottom it says free, you know, they just read this cool article about handstand and then at the bottom free handstand video. So that one, like that's about 5%, but the lion's share comes from Instagram, which is a platform I use almost exclusively for driving traffic to my landing page about how to get a free handstand video. Got it. Now, tying up uh, this conversation about the nuts and bolts of getting these events booked and running them, some of the things that we talked about before this recording was that you actually created a marketing PDF. How does that play into the situation? 
it is crucial. So it's one thing for a studio and I to get into a conversation like and me say, oh yeah, I can run a handstand workshop. It'll be really great. I promise. I'm really good. I do it all the time. Versus they talk to my booking manager who sends them this really well-constructed PDF that lists out, it's like, you know, it's got a cover page, Kyle Weger workshop portfolio, page number one, little bio about me. Here's what I believe in. Here's how I like to train. Here's, you know, how I want my students to feel when I'm done. And then after the bio, then it starts listing. Each page is a title and a description of the workshop. There's like, I want to run one called uh, Yoga Ninja Flow. I want to run one called uh, Primal Flow, which are more like movement-based. And then we get into arm balance basics, arm balance intermediate, arm balance advanced, handstand basics, handstand intermediates. And then I have some teachers-only courses about branding and marketing, and web essentials, and here's what you should know if you're going to build a website about yourself. And it's probably like, man, I bet like 14, 15 pages long or something like that. But it's it's all got my logo on there. It's my branded, got my color scheme and everything. And then there's just a layer of credibility that happens when a studio manager or studio owner get this document. And they're like, I know this because I've had them tell me, I was really impressed with that PDF you sent over. It's really professional, really well done. And I, you know, I kind of blush. I'm like, in the back of my head, I was like, well, I made it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's, I think if you want to be treated as a professional, you need to start acting like a professional. And what a what does a professional traveling yoga teacher or handstand coach or fitness coach have? They have marketing collateral, much like you would have back when I was selling software. Of course, I'm going to send you over my collateral. If an old software client, you know, we get off the phone and they're like, "Hey, can you send me some collateral?" and I told them I didn't have any, they'd be like, "Oh, you're not even right. worth talking yeah. to that." So if someone is listening to this and and they haven't done any of this yet, but they're wanting to, um, clearly they don't have the extensive level of courses and, and trainings that you've done over the years. What are the critical elements that should be in a marketing PDF? Yeah, absolutely. So they need to know if, well, let's see, if you're in my world, like the, I'll just say the fitness industry in general, and that encompasses a lot of things. There's a lot of trainers out there. There's a lot of yoga teachers. The number one thing I think I would say to people is get specific on what you do. Is it, do you teach meditation? Do you teach a specific type of meditation? Do you teach a specific breathing technique? Are you an expert in body weight calisthenics? Are you a handstand expert? But it's not enough to be just like a fitness instructor or a yoga teacher anymore. I feel like that pool, there's a lot of greats out there already that are currently touring and there's a finite amount of weekends for workshops on a calendar year. So separate yourself by making your niche offering super well known, right? Like my cover photo of me is on the document is me in a handstand. And so like, okay, right away when you open this thing, you got a pretty good idea that this guy is going to be teaching us kind of some gymnastics type of (laughs) movement. Clean it up if you don't have, like I, I happen to like have, you know, very baseline skills in Photoshop so I can make stuff like that. If, if that's like something that's not in your wheelhouse whatsoever, I guarantee at this day and age, you have a friend who is a designer of some kind or has Photoshop in their computer. Hell, you could go to upwork.com or fiber.com and pay someone $15 to make this for you, right? You just write, write up uh, your class descriptions or course descriptions, send them the photos you want to use and they'll dress it up and make it pretty. The thing is, like, but you have to do it with a, like a, a really clear purpose. The only reason this document exists is so that I can get booked on traveling gigs. Like that's the one, the the reason for it. They're not that concerned. And here's been my experience. Like I have like a small paragraph that's maybe three sentences long about me. They don't need your life story. Um, who's ever going to hire you? They probably don't even need to know what you've been doing for the last year. They don't need to know what you had for breakfast. It doesn't need to be that personal. Tell them about like your ethos, things you believe in things that that students feel when they're done working with you not like oh my name is Kyle my favorite movie is office space and you know all that stuff right that that's not important yeah so hearing you talk about this marketing pdf kind of reminds me about something in the beginning of our conversation where we were talking about how people can end up in this analysis paralysis and not getting started with something that they know they want to do and i think that this is a perfect example because the thing is what you're talking about is not complicated to create. It's not time-consuming. It's not expensive. 
But yet the reason why it makes such a big difference with people who you want to work with is because you're making tangible something that's intangible. The intangible thing is that you say that you do these things. Mm-hmm. You say that you're good at this. It's one thing to say it, but when you put it down and you organize it in a tangible asset, the thing that speaks to people isn't totally about the content. It's about, hey, you. it's communicating a number of things. You're organized, you're committed. What else? A, a bunch of stuff. I think work ethic mm-hmm. too, right? Like, oh man, this person... You know, in my case, the handstand thing, like this guy put together, he sat down and made this. Like, I can only imagine that he puts that same level of quality into his workshops. I say this all the time how you do anything is how you do everything. I say it to my students literally every day. Sure. And so, if you go to, uh, you know, a studio or someone who would maybe not a studio who's ever in your industry and you send them some kind of janky, Word document with typos and misspellings and bad grammar. They're not. It's like having a misspelling on your resume, almost. Like the HR person would just be like, "Oh, next." And probably what more often happens for studios is that somebody just sends an email, like, "Hey, I'm this, I'm the, I'm that, and totally. I, I teach these things and I do this." How many emails do these people get like that? And there's nothing that stands out. Oh yeah, about that situation. No, if so, the. Um, I have had a number of friends who handled, uh, at, this is back when I worked primarily in you know a lot of studio work. I had friends that did that role. They were like, you know, studio manager. They would take requests from incoming traveling instructors of any kind, whether it be yoga nidra or handstands or gymnastics or whatever. And uh, yeah, they get them all the time, especially if it's a high traffic, well-known studio, like uh, where I spend a lot of time in Denver. There's a few that are like pretty well-known and the instructors always go to when they come to Denver, Colorado. Now the the girl that handles those sees at least I'm I'm going to guess two to three inbound requests every single week. So and it's usually an instructor being like, "I'm really good. I promise. Right. Just trust me on this one." Like you don't really build your. I mean, it's nice to build like human connection that way, but it's not a great way to build a business per se. So when uh, another way, I'll have my manager Sarah, uh, who's amazing by the way, Sarah, if you're listening, if there's a city I want to go to. And then she reaches out, uh, like, I really want to get to Austin, by the way. I've, um, I've been there a couple of times, but I want to go back and actually teach there. And so she'll reach out to studios in Austin. Now, it's not Kyle Weger reaching out, speaking on Kyle Weger's behalf. It's my booking manager, Sarah, and she's coming to the table with this cleanly designed, fresh PDF of my offerings clear cut of like, here, here's what I do. And if it's not on this list, I probably don't do it. Like I'm not the world's best meditation coach, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not my specialty. Um, But it just like, it cuts through all of the fluff too of like, Oh, what do you want to teach? If you, if we did book you, what would you teach kind of thing? It's like, Oh no, everything's just right here, clean and laid out. And that's exactly how my courses run too. Everything is, has a, like a a regimen. It's clean and easy to follow order. And so I think just by presenting that, as you said, I'm communicating a number of different things by presenting that. So I just bring that to the table every time. It's it's the best way to operate, yeah. in my opinion. I specifically wanted to go into more level of detail here. I mean, we are talking very directly about your situation and yoga studios and teachers. But the reason I'm wanting to discuss this is because the things just beneath the surface, beyond the fact that we're specifically talking about yoga and teaching, these concepts are important for success in anything. So try to listen beyond the specifics that we're talking about, because this is how you do it. Like this is the blueprint. Totally. And one thing, you know, that I I consider my my in-person workshops, and this goes for any business, anyone who has course-based material online, eventually. I don't know anyone who just runs a purely online teaching business. Like eventually you're going to have like, you know, the term mastermind is a big one in the marketing world, right? Come join my mastermind. For me, it's like, come join my workshop, come on my handstand retreat. So eventually you're going to have to get people, you know, you're going to have to have that, that connection. So if it's course-based material that you're selling, just know at some point you're going to have to go be a human again and shake someone's hand or give them a hug. <laughs> like this is, this is the way to do it. And dressing up like your the way you present your information only only adds a layer of not only credibility to you, but like just think about the user experience. When someone comes to my site, all my links work. 
right? All, every, everything is clean cut. It, you, they know where to go. It's pretty obvious where I want to direct them, depending on what they're looking for. And I want them to associate that feeling of certainty mm-hmm. with the Kyle Weaker right. brand. It's like, you know, if we imagine like somebody's inviting us to a party, right? The more like waffly they are about it, the less likely we are going to want to attend that party. But if they come at us with a very professional invitation, like basically it comes down to this. And this is the same thing when I do tea ceremonies. Anytime you're holding an in-person event, you are holding that space. You're creating a container for people to enter in. And anytime we as humans are asked to enter into a container, there's a certain amount of trust that we need to have in the person holding that space that's going to allow us to feel comfortable going to it. And that starts, you know, your marketing PDF, like your booking manager, your communication, all of this is building trust and comfort with the audience to be like, yes, I am interested in handstand. And also, will I trust this person? Is it going to be fun to be in the same space? It's like, think about online dating, right? It's the same thing if we do a profile. Yeah. Is this like, okay, this person on paper has all these bullet points that sound good, but am I going to feel comfortable in their presence? Are they going to take care of my being by being physically present with them. Yeah. And you know, even in my industry, there's like, I'm, I'm not the only traveling handstand coach out there. We like, we're all, you know, we know each other, uh, both uh, here domestically and internationally as well. I got friends all over the place that do this exact same thing. Um, and we've had the conversations like it, teaching and performing a skill are two wildly different things. I know some people who are amazing amazing hand balancers they started when they were like four you know they they've never not known how to do it because they were born into like a circus sort of environment (laughs) it is hard to sometimes to learn from them as an adult anyway like i'm 37 and this guy's been doing hand balancing for the majority of my entire life and then like that experience is is a little tougher like oh man i don't know if i should go train with that guy because like are we speaking the same language is he holding the space as you put it for me to step in and have a really great experience. So for my side of my business, I, I lay down ground rules all the time, like right away when people step into handstand boot camp or whatever weekend workshop, I'm like rule number one, safety. Rule number two, have fun. And then I'll go through the rules of like technicality stuff. But if it's safe and it's fun, I guarantee when you walk out of there, something awesome will have happened in that weekend if you feel safe and you're open to having fun. The handstands are like secondary, right? Like I can teach you technically how to do a handstand in under, you know, a few minutes. If you give me a full weekend of like six to eight hours with you, we're going to dive pretty deep into the nerdy level of it. But it all stems from the fact that you feel safe in that room and you're open to the having fun with a community of people. If those two like base level needs aren't met, what's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's no different. Yep. I experienced the same exact thing in my tea ceremonies. In fact, at this point, I'm 100% positive that the experience of the tea ceremony has very much nothing to do with the tea. Right. It's how, how, what are you setting them right. up for? Exactly. One of the final kind of logistical items on the um, kind of the in-person training things that I wanted to ask you about is, do you have any sort of contracts that you sign with these places? You know, I never used to, and I, I do now, thanks to my booking manager. Um, she's actually a, a booking manager for another friend of mine who's a bit, a little bit bigger in the in the yoga space. And we, he introduced us, and we started talking. And one of the first things she sent over me, I was like, yeah, I'd be interested to see what you send out for contracts. Because here's the, way, here's the other side of the coin of me having an online business and not really being super reliant on the money from the workshops is like, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just like, you know... I'll show up, shake someone's hand, but cool, your word is good enough. I agree, and you agree over the phone call that we're going to do this thing, and that's fine with me. One thing that she has got me really on is like, no, let me do the contract work because it allows you to still stay friends with these these studio owners um, when you don't have to talk about numbers, right? right? There's no like nickel and diming or negotiating or blah, blah, blah. And it does really, again, adds a layer of professionalism because when she sends a contract out on my behalf, and now the studio knows what the expectations are. They have to make, you know, X amount of social media posts. I agree to make X amount of social media posts as well. And the workshops start on this date and they end on this date. And it's just so easy to just get it down. It actually removes all tension from the interaction. That way I can just show up and be Kyle, the fun handstand guy. And I'm 
I don't talk business with these people at all. Yeah. And I know what you mean when you say, um, I don't care about it because I'm the same way, but really I, what we're saying is that we don't want to care about it, right? We want somebody else exactly. to care I don't want about to have it to deal with that. because it's a totally different, uh, role mentality relationship that's created when you have to discuss those aspects. Yeah. And having her send out the content she sent with the one that she sent over as a sample, I immediately knew I was like, Oh, this is my girl. This, she knows what she's doing. She's obviously been doing this before. So, um, yeah, after I saw that and then I just, it immediately hit me the value of like, Oh, a contract is just such an easy way. I think where people shy away from that is that I remember I said, I work at like 90% yoga studios, um, where I didn't know what it is about that practice, but it just seems that yoga and business don't mix, like they're uh, philosophically don't mix. Right. And so when you try to pull the business side into the yoga thing, it just seemed weird, but she's very straightforward about it. And I think that's a really great attribute is just complete 100% transparency and honesty, and then move forward with the event. You know, before we do a wrap up here, like earlier we were talking about small towns and you going to small towns and you said something about mentioning that later. Is it worth bringing back up? Yeah. Yeah. So I normally go to big cities because if yoga is the biggest pool that I can market to, to get people interested in handstanding and the most densely populated metropolitan areas have the most yoga studios, it just stands to reason I'll do better in bigger cities. However, there has been numerous occasions where I went to small towns. I went to a studio in Albers, Illinois, and these people were just the salt of the earth. Albers, Illinois is about like 30 or 40 minutes east of St. Louis at the southern part of Illinois. Now, not only was it just awesome to go be in like a super tiny town, because I'm from a small town in the Midwest originally. Um, I feel like I was kind of like going home. We actually sold out the workshop twice. So we fit 20 people. That's 20 to 24 is kind of like my standard, what I'm comfortable with because handstanding, I want to be attentive, right? And so the owner hits me up and it was the day after the, she put it up on her website and she's like, Hey, we sold out and we've waitlisted like 10 more people. And I was like, wait, didn't you just put that up like last night? And she said, yeah, yeah, I was really excited. And uh, she's like, we've literally never had a handstand coach in here before. And then that got my wheels turned. I was like, wow. Okay, so let's actually run two sessions, nine to noon will be like group A, nine to noon, Saturday, Sunday, and then we'll open up a second one, one to four, Saturday and Sunday. And then we end up selling out all of them. And that's when it really hit me. I was like, holy cow, like these people who might not live in Washington, D.C. or New York City or London have the, such an appreciation for you know, the handstand because no one's really ever come to Albers, Illinois to teach them how to do it. And I thought that that was just a really, really cool thing. And I just loved everyone in that community. It was, um, yeah, people from small town, man, I just, I get them. Although some, for me traveling, sometimes the big cities, there's more to do in my off time. But when I was there in Albers, we were just at like the local watering hole, you know, just sitting around like eating chicken wings, just being Midwesterners type of thing. But yeah, it was, it was fun, man. It was really cool. And that's happened in Australia as well at a really small town, about four hours Northeast of Melbourne. And, uh, same thing you go there. I'm like, Oh, I wonder how many people are going to come here. And then they pack the house. Cause you're like the anomaly, right? You're the, literally the entertainment for that weekend. Like in big cities, we're spoiled for choice, right? Like there's just so much going on. You're inundated. It's like, you know, but you were the attraction based probably for that weekend for the entire time. You know, it's ironic. You, you, you bring up a really great point in a big city. There's so much to do. You know where I've never booked a workshop, Los Angeles. I live in yeah. Southern California, um, but there's just so <laughs> many options up there, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think it, it's nice to go connect with the small town people from a sightseeing standpoint. It's really cool to go to big cities. So I guess, if you're going to get out there and do the travel teaching thing or the live workshop thing, shape it around like, where do you want to be? Like, where, where's going to be, or again, my first criteria, is it fun to go on this thing? And if it looks fun, I'll do it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've had many amazing journeys and uh, you will continue to have these amazing journeys. So really happy for you. Thank you, man. I'm, uh, I'm in the, this is week three of a three month stint that I'm on currently. So you know, ask me in another, you know, two and a half months when all I want is my own bed right. and my own bathroom and house and my regular routine. We'll see how I'm feeling then. Yeah, well, I know what that feels like.
But uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming back on the show and having this chat. It's been really nice as usual chatting with you. As we sign off here, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I don't have any fancy names on social media. It's just Kyle Weger, W-E-I-G-E-R. KyleWeger.com uh, is my site. At Kyle Weger is going to be uh, Instagram. And then MemberDev.com, of course. Stay tuned for all of the upcoming courses. We already got one done and out. And then I'll be making the new one here uh, later this year on email marketing. So stay tuned. Depending on what you want, if you want a handstand related stuff, follow the Kyle Weger things. If you want to learn about marketing, go to MemberDev. Yeah, maybe one day there'll be a site that combines them both. Yeah, I wonder how that would work, right? Well, if anybody's going <laughs> to figure it out, you will. It'll be out. Leave it to me, right? <laughs> All right, Kyle. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Eric. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. I'd like to extend my sincere thanks to Kyle for coming on the show and to you for listening to the entire episode. I hope you're walking away with some information and inspiration that can help you grow your business. To get the show notes, resources mentioned, and a complete transcript of the episode, head over to subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 133. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher for more interviews with successful entrepreneurs. Coming up next, we have a really exciting episode for you. It features an up-and-coming entrepreneur named Talia Koren. In it, Talia shares the story of how she built an engaged Instagram following of over 350,000 people and then launched a subscription business that now has over 2,500 members. Talia is truly an Instagram expert and shares the exact strategies that she used to sell her subscription on that platform. It's a really great episode and you won't want to miss it. We'll see you next time.